Good morning and welcome to another edition of uh, Peter Rollins's, uh, I don't have a name for it to be honest, um, Radical Theology Industrial Complex uh, Facebook Live event. I don't know if that works. Um, I'm glad you're tuning in. I uh, hope you're keeping well. I hope you had a good weekend, 4th of July and all of that, if you're American. Um, I went to a nice barbecue and I've uh, just had a nice relaxing couple of days. I did just fall and like really hurt my foot there. Um, I went outside to get a package and tripped and spilt coffee everywhere. So my day is uh, starting off like that. Uh, I just thought I would check in and, you know, give another thought, tell a parable. Um, what's interesting is that finally I have been able to release the audio version of this book. Uh, I actually recorded it a few years ago with my friend Cindy McCoy. Uh, she's brilliant, she knows all about science stuff and she said, listen, let's just record an audio. Uh, my publisher said, yep, that's totally fine. You're not selling any copies anyway, so it's not gonna cost us anything. Um, so we set up a, a, a recording studio in my house at the time when I was living in Connecticut. And uh, I was literally, in my uh, kind of like cupboard with like all of these clues around me in pitch black. We had like a, a bare bulb and she was outside with all of the equipment and I read the book and almost destroyed my eyesight in the process. Uh, and we, we got it done. We also included this kind of soundscape from a friend of mine, the artist uh, Johnny McEwen, who's called Dub. And uh, so we kind of create something that's also a bit meditative and reflective. And we were really pleased with the result, but we didn't really know what to do with it. Uh, so I think we sold, um, yeah, Homebrew Christianity sold it for a while, um, and that was cool. But then it hasn't been available. But I have just set up a shop on my website. I say it's a shop, it's not really much of a shop, but it's a way for people to kind of download some of the online teaching courses I do, because I don't teach in universities very much. Um, but I do do these online courses. It's a way to get them. And I just the other day uh, put the Orthodox Heretic on. So you can find it and I'm hoping it's working. Uh, if you buy it and for some reason it doesn't work, just email me and um, I'll send you the files. But because of that, in honor of the Orthodox Heretic now being in, you know, in audible form, I thought I would tell you one of the parables and chat about it. As always, feel free to uh, write comments um, about my uh, bathrobe or anything else, uh, ask questions. Um, already I see a few comments. Oh, someone's, uh, is that is that thigh? Is it Thai? I don't know how to pronounce that, um, uh, but you're in uh, Melbourne. I love Melbourne. I've been there once, uh, super cool. Um, I'm actually in Sydney, Australia, in September. I don't think I'm going to get to Melbourne, unfortunately. It's 1.23, okay? This is like your sleeping tablet. You're going to hear a parable and it's going to lull you to sleep um, because you're obviously got a bit of insomnia. Uh, let's see. Hey, Ryan, Timothy. Oh, thanks. It's an excellent book. Well done. I'm not even paying him to say that. Uh, oh, nice robe from Phil. Thank you very much. I am a big, I'm a big fan of robes because I mostly am very lazy and like to sit in the house and read or write. Uh, the robe is a very important thing. You know, if I was to write a book about the art of writing, point one would be get a nice robe. 
Uh, oh, no way. I'm Moira from Belfast. That's great to see someone from back home tuning in. Fantastic. Uh, okay. Um, the, the parable I want to tell you is called Finding Faith. And instead of reading it, I'll just tell it. Hopefully I can remember it. It's been a few years. But it's about this pastor who has this ability, finds out early on in his life, that when he lays hands on people, he's kind of a bit of a charismatic, he lays hands on people and he starts to pray, people lose all of their beliefs, all of their religious convictions, belief in gods, belief in angels and demons, beliefs in the Bible, it all just dissipates. And so of course, this is not a good thing to have in his line of work. So he decides, I better not pray for people, leave that for somebody else. I'll try and do good works, try and preach. So that's all very well. But then one day he's on a train and uh, he's going to some appointment and he's across from this, this kind of stressed out older guy in a suit and he hears him on the phone and he's shouting at someone on the other side about work stuff, uh, you know, threatening to fire this person. Uh, then the conductor comes up, he's very rude to the conductor. He, um, he's just, you know, just this ball of stress and anger. Um, now, as he's talking on the phone and shouting, this businessman notices, the pastor, notices that he's carrying a Bible. And so when he hangs up, he leans over to the pastor and says, listen, um, sorry about that. I'm just very stressed at the moment. Work is very difficult. I'm in a very tough business. You know, you've got to be strong. Uh, you know, uncompromising, you've got to be respected and feared. And he says, yeah, you know, it's, it's difficult, but the truth is I'm a man of deep faith. He says, I go to my church every week. I read my Bible religiously. Uh, I in, I'm involved in youth work. Uh, I do some kind of outreach stuff. He says, this, this work, what you see here in this suit, that's not really me. You know, I'm a child of God. You're a child of God. This, this passes in an instant. This is nothing. In, in the eternal, this is just a, a blink of an eye. This is a false self. Our true identities are in God. So the pastor thinks for a second and then says, would you mind you know, if I, if I prayed for you? And so the, the guy says, oh yeah, that would be fine. Businessman's very happy, closes his eyes. Pastor just leans over, puts his hand on the guy's shoulder, says a simple prayer. Well, Businessman opens his up his eyes and is like, oh, what a fool I've been believing in God and the Bible and some sort of heaven above and hell below. It's all ridiculous. Yeah, I've been a fool. Like these scales fall from his eyes. He says, I was blind, but now I see. They continue on. The, the pastor gets off the train and the businessman goes to his work. Well, the problem is, now the businessman doesn't have this idea that he, his real identity is in God and that this is just some passing thing. Now he has to look at what he does and he realizes that he's just a hard-nosed, stressed out, angry businessman in a job that he doesn't really like, treating people in ways that he doesn't really like. Eventually he has a breakdown gives it all up, gives a lot of his money away, uh, starts working for a charity organization, uh, starts feeling much better about himself. Uh, then years later, he's walking down the street, he sees this pastor. He runs up to the pastor, he grasps him and he says, thank you for helping me discover my faith. 
Now, when I wrote this, I was trying to explore how beliefs of any kind can cover over our, uh, our, our real sense of who we are. So in the Bible, it's called the heart. You know, your beliefs are in your heart. And in more contemporary language, you can talk about the unconscious. The idea is that our beliefs are not primarily in our consciousness. What we believe is not primarily what we say we believe, what we can kind of rhyme out, what we can put on a form, what we can write down on a piece of paper. So for example, if you were to, to uh, do a theology test or something where you have to write down your beliefs on a piece of paper, that in a sense isn't what you believe. Most of what we believe is unconscious, is stuff that we, we don't realize, that we, we can't actually accept that we want to hide from ourselves. And as I say, in the biblical tradition, this is called the heart. You know, this, this, the heart is where your beliefs reside that you're not even aware of. And they come out in your actions. Now, this isn't a simple move from orthodoxy, right belief, to orthopraxis, right practice. Because your practices as well can be things that you pretend, things that you put on for the sake of, uh, you know, creating an image of yourself that uh, that works okay um, actually I'll show you the, the pic this picture that explains it some of you will have seen this in previous uh, Facebook live events I have this interesting poster of uh, Joseph Stalin meeting a sailor this was done in 1948 by a graphic designer called Apiutra Gulub and it was, you know, standard propaganda poster. You've got the flag in the background. You've got Stalin standing strong. You've got the proud sailors and the, the, the boats in the background. You know, typical propaganda poster of the day. But uh, just before it was printed, mass produced and, and put up, uh, somebody on the censorship committee said, this is an abomination. This poster uh, is a bad omen. Uh, Piotr Gulub was arrested and this this poster never uh, never was put up and it's actually quite hard to get so I've got it. <laughs> now when you look at it you go why was it um, a, a bad omen? Why was this something that the, was seen as an um, um, a offensive uh, image? Well if you look at it closely you'll notice that uh, Stalin's hands only, only have three fingers. His left hand only has three fingers. Uh, so he's either hiding a finger or uh, he doesn't have one. And actually his, his hands are kind of monsters, they're cartoonish. Because if you know cartoons, cartoon hands have three fingers, not four. So he's missing a finger. Why did Piotr Golov do that? Um, was he doing it deliberately? Well. Yeah, it's a very risky thing to do. It's hard to imagine he would. He'd know that he'd be killed for it, and probably his family as well. Was it a mistake? Well, that's also difficult to imagine because, uh, you know, he's a good artist. How could you not only be bad at drawing hands, but be bad at knowing that you were bad at drawing hands and actually give Stalin three fingers? You know, it could have been a type of artistic Freudian slip. A Freudian slip is when you do something, a mistake that you don't even realize is a mistake. You say something or you do something that you're not conscious of that reveals something very deep about your heart or your unconscious, your desires, the desires that you're not even able to admit to yourself. 
a Freudian slip might be using the wrong person's name or always losing your keys when you're about to visit your mum or something like that. Some little thing that goes on in your life that you're not even aware of but that speaks the truth. Now, what I'm doing in this parable is trying to say that in a way, the truth of who we are is in our outbursts of anger, our stress, or how we treat other people, um, not necessarily in the image we have. In other words, like this propaganda poster, we have an image of ourselves. It's like a propaganda thing. You know, we present ourselves well, just like a propaganda poster presents a social political system well. But then you have the symptom, some little detail that doesn't fit some little detail that doesn't kind of like mold with everything else so this is like a facebook profile that we create for ourselves but the symptom is something like for example if it's facebook everything looks great person's putting up all these great posters about themselves and their life and all of that but they're continually telling you how great their life is either in words or in photographs now if they're constantly doing that that can be a little symptom sometimes that maybe they're not happy because, you know, the fact that you have to keep telling yourself and other people that you're happy can sometimes be a signal that actually deep down you're not happy. So you're happy because if you're really happy, you don't have to kind of tell everybody all the time. <laughs> you're just happy. Um, so sometimes, you know, that the little symptom is that strange thing you notice that every day this person is trying to paint a perfect picture on their Instagram of their existence. Um, and sometimes they are just happy. But as I say, if it's, if it's continual, if it's obsessive, then it can often point to something that they may not be able to admit to themselves, not even to me, the viewer, but potentially to themselves. And so sometimes what we need to do is we need to get rid of our beliefs, see behind them, see that those beliefs are not what we think, but are actually designed to cover over what we think. Where we say, oh, you know, I, I love animals. I think animals are fantastic. But, you know, the truth is I eat them. <laughs> I eat them all the time. So maybe I don't. Um, maybe I just say that I do. Uh, you know, I can go to the zoo or I can, you know, see a movie that has lots of farmhouse animals and think they're deeply cute. But in a one sense, my actions and what I do kind of more speaks about what I think. Or I say, oh, I love my family. I think they're brilliant. But then someone points out that I never phone them okay well maybe actually the truth is I have some unresolved issues with them and although I tell myself that everything's great and we get on really well the very symptom the very fact that I avoid contacting them might show that there's something there's something there so in some respects belief conscious belief which we concentrate on all the time in 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 our world, like in a, the religious world, it's very, very important, but in various ways, we think that if we can just sort things out consciously, it's all gonna be good. There's something about the tradition, the biblical tradition, that's asking us to actually be honest with ourselves, look at the truth of our desires and our drives, look at the truth of the things that we'd rather not admit to ourselves, make peace and space for those so that we can bring them to the service look at them, expose them to the light of day, and so they can be actually transformed. And that the real heart of faith is not about you know, right belief here, but it's about transforming the heart. There's that verse that um, is in the Bible about uh, you know, cleaning, you know, you clean the outside of the cup, Jesus says, but the inside of the cup is dirty. Now, this cup is actually very dirty on the outside. <laughs> um, the idea is you know, we spend time cleaning the outside as in conscious, the consciousness. We, we create the 
the uh, the the propaganda poster of our poster of our lives and try and make that look as good as possible. And in social media, of course, we have our Instagrams and our Twitters and our Facebooks where we can show how much we care about the world and how much we care about certain issues and. Um, pictures that make us look like we're having a great time. We can curate our image of ourselves. And that just, by the way, is an epiphenomenon of what we've done before social media. Um, our very bodies are our Facebook profiles. Um, our consciousness is our idealized, photoshopped version of ourselves. But then we have, as I say, this other area, this, this something else which is seen in the symptoms and what doesn't fit. And just like a detective goes into a, um, a murder scene and everybody sees what the murderer wants them to see, the detective sees the little anomaly, the little thing that doesn't quite fit with the picture or that the, the, the criminal's trying to tell. You know, Columbo, who's my favourite uh, uh, detective of all time, he'll come in and he'll notice, oh, right, so this guy was smoking. Uh, one of the cigarettes fell on the ground, set fire to the carpet. He died of smoke inhalation. Okay, but then Colombo goes, okay, what, why is it that that one um, cigarette in the ashtray has been stubbed out? All the other ashtrays in, in the house have just been left to die naturally. So the guy obviously smokes a cigarette, puts it down, lets it die. But the ones in the office have been scrunched out. That's an anomaly. And it turns out that that's the anomaly that leads to the truth. The truth that someone else came in stubbed out the cigarettes because the next thing he notices is when you smoke a cigarette there's always a little bit of tobacco at the end a little bit of stain why is it the ones that have been stubbed out don't have any stain on the end it looks like a non-smoker has come in lit a few cigarettes stumped them out to make it look like it was an accident so we have to become detectives in our lives as individuals and in our countries looking for the anomalies that speak the truth that we cannot look at bringing that to the surface so that so that change can happen. All right, let me see if there's any questions or thoughts. Lots of people have tuned in, that's great. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, James says, I'm constantly trying to find a concise explanation of your approach to faith, or Tillich's view even. I find it difficult, guess. It means I'm still wrestling with that. Yeah, brilliant. And, you know, the, partly that might be my fault for not kind of being more concise, but also partly, you know, this stuff is, is more about uh, entering into a conversation. Um, and there's points in that conversation. There's, there's, there's areas that are more important than others to someone like me, but it's about an invitation into a type of conversation. Um, and so in a sense, if it was very easy to pin down, it would kind of be the opposite of what this is about. Because, as you know, in terms of what we're saying here, it's like being able to, Kierkegaard said, like, Christianity is not the reduction of uh, religion to some sort of multiple choice that you can just, you know, tick the right answers and get into heaven. It's, it's something much more uh, interesting. So I'm glad you're wrestling with all of this, James. Um, keep tuning in. Uh... Louise says I could have dressed up a bit the chat to you. This is me dressed up. I think this is very dapper. I should have a cigar. Um, oh yeah, Clint.